Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. So this morning, my sermon revolves around this particular chapter in the New Testament, Acts 2. And for the past few weeks, I've been reading, I've been praying, I've been reflecting on this passage. But in my reading, in my praying, in my reflection, I've also been struggling. Struggling to discern the relevance of this passage, which is for me and maybe for you an all too familiar passage. I know the story. I know what the story is about. I know a lot about the figures in the story and what happens when the Spirit of God shows up. I've been a Christian for 22 years now, and I've read this passage many times. In fact, I've heard many sermons on this passage, but to be honest, in a lot of ways, all the amazing things that we just heard and read about in this passage a rush of wind, tongues of fire, the apostles being filled with the Holy Spirit, God bringing different peoples from different nations and unifying them through and around the gospel of Jesus Christ. All these amazing things, for me, they're just too familiar. Now, if you're here this morning and you're not actually that familiar with this passage, then let me suggest that you may actually be at a better vantage point than myself. And my prayer is that God would protect you from the type of familiarity that produces apathy, complacency, and as the old saying goes, the familiarity that breeds contempt. And I pray that no matter how much familiarity the rest of us have with this passage and with God's word as a whole, that the Spirit of God would come and fall afresh on us and give us a new holy imagination to taste and to see and to tell of the wondrous works of our almighty and wondrous God. So in my struggle to understand what God is actually up to in this story, and in the story of my own life, the Holy Spirit has been showing me, revealing to me that I have become too content with my own familiarity with God's word. And it has, in honesty, resulted in a lot of complacency and apathy on my part when it comes to the wonder of who God is. In fact, a lot of my life, and maybe even yours, is made up of those amazing moments, those amazing events and experiences that somehow just seem less amazing now because you've allowed yourself, as I, to become too familiar with them. Maybe it's the miracle of childbirth. It's not to say that the second, third, fourth, or fifth, and for some of you, the sixth child is any less of a miracle, or that the event of birthing a child again and again and again and again and again and again is any less miraculous. But with each new birth and with each new child, there is a great deal of familiarity and routines and hand-me-downs. And if left unchecked, these things can actually still the wonder of the moment. Maybe it's work. Remember the initial excitement you had when you landed the job and the excitement with which you learned to do that job? But over time, you got more experience under your belt and work 
just is no longer that exciting. Familiarity has set in, and if left unchecked, the danger of becoming complacent and apathetic increases. This can lead to weariness or burnout, pride and overconfidence, or distraction, and often the result is sometimes tragic. Maybe it's a relationship. You, you no longer experience the wonder of who your friend, partner, or spouse is. And familiarity has just somehow taken away the joy of your relationship. It's changed the way we see, the way we approach and communicate. It's, changes, it's changed the way we've loved or how we seek to love one another. Now, I want to be clear. Familiarity is not inherently bad. But if left unchecked, familiarity can breed complacency and apathy as well as contempt, all of which are expressions of pride and self-reliance. This is my story. For the past few weeks, God has been calling me into more intimacy with him, and it's been a struggle. God has been in this process, revealing to me, exposing to me sinful patterns in my life, some of which I don't want to let go of, two of which relate to familiarity in my life. First, God has been showing me how my own familiarity with God's word has prevented me from experiencing the wonder of who God is. And second, God has been showing me how I have been using my own familiarity with God's word as an excuse not to actually rely on God. But thank God that the Spirit of God lives in me. Thank God that God is working in and through me. Thank God that my story, that our story, doesn't end in apathy or self-reliance or spiritual blindness and idolatry. Amen? Now, there's a good reason why I began this sermon reading from verses 14 and 37 through 39. For some reason in my struggle to understand the relevancy of the whole of the passage for my own life and for the church today, there were certain words that just kept jumping off the page, those emboldened words as you saw on the screen. In verse 14, Peter's invitation to listen carefully, it caught my attention And so, honestly, probably for the first time in my entire life with this passage, I accepted his invitation, and I began to listen carefully to the actual words Peter and the apostles preached on that day. Yes, there were many signs, many wonders occurring on that day. And while there were so, Peter's message in Acts 2 is actually the fulfillment of what Jesus promises in Acts 1.8. When Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In Acts 2, Peter's proclamation of the gospel is the result of this promise. It is the result of having been filled with the Holy Spirit. And the implication here is that there is a missional purpose, a sending out purpose to being filled with the Holy Spirit. That is to say, being filled with the Holy Spirit carries with it a missional sending out purpose directed to the entire world. 
God has saved you and I for a reason. And God has filled us with his spirit for a reason, to live in the power of the Holy Spirit and to proclaim in the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ is both Lord and Messiah. Peter's role in this story is to help us understand that all the signs and wonders occurring on the first day of Pentecost only make sense when we listen carefully to the gospel message that he proclaims concerning Jesus Christ, the one to whom these signs and wonders are pointing to, are bearing witness to. And we are told that those who did, did listen were cut to the heart. And the result was repentance, faith, and the reception of the promise of the Holy Spirit. So as we dive into this passage a bit more this morning, this is my prayer, that we would listen carefully and that the Spirit of God will fall afresh on us, that we will allow the Holy Spirit to lead us into bold and humble repentance and a Spirit-filled faith that God would change us and those around us. So what is Acts 2 really all about? On the day of Pentecost, 50 days after Jesus was raised from the grave, the disciples were gathered together in the upper room in Jerusalem, waiting and hoping for the fulfillment of Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit. So Pentecost is the story of how the church came alive by the power of the Holy Spirit. On that day, a mighty wind from heaven blew the fire of the Holy Spirit into the followers who were gathered together. When something like tongues of fire rested over their heads, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began preaching and speaking in many different languages. And people from many different countries were not only able to hear them declaring the wonders of God in their own tongues, verse 11, but look at verse 12. They also were amazed and perplexed Asking one another, what does this mean? On that day, God filled the apostles with the strengthening presence of the Holy Spirit, ensuring them that he was with them, that he would work in and through them. And beginning with the apostles, the church was then empowered to take the gospel to the streets, to their neighborhoods, communities, and eventually throughout all the world. On that day, the followers of Jesus received a holy courage, a humble confidence that they had never experienced or known or had before. Take Peter, for example. Verse 14 reads, Then Peter stood up with the eleven. Peter, raising his voice. Peter, addressing the crowd. Peter, saying, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. There's two reasons why I believe God keeps turning my attention to this verse. First, it's Peter. You know, the zealous disciple who thought he could prevent God's will from coming to pass? The guy who said he would never betray Jesus and then overcome by fear denies Jesus three times. This is Peter before Pentecost. At, during, and after Pentecost, 
we read about this same Peter who is different in so many ways. After Pentecost, Peter preaches to confused and questioning even hostile crowds, boldly proclaiming that Joel's prophecy is being fulfilled as people are having dreams and visions and that Jesus is both Lord and Messiah, verses 17 through 21 and verse 36. In Acts 3, we see uh, Peter preaching boldly to onlookers about how Moses and Abraham and Sarah and all the prophets again and 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 again witness to Jesus as Lord and Messiah. In Acts 4, Peter boldly addresses the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. All throughout Acts, we read of the many ways in which the Spirit of God gives Peter the power to boldly witness. And Peter is just one example of the difference the Spirit of God makes in our lives. Before Pentecost, many of the followers of Jesus experienced doubt, experienced fear, encountered despair. But after Pentecost, they too went out into their communities. They too went out into their neighboring towns. They too went out into the world, and people's lives were changed. Now, maybe you're thinking, the transformation that I've experienced has been more gradual and less sudden. Praise God. Praise God that you have experienced transformational change in and through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. At the end of the day, the issue is not really about whether or not our transformation compares to the Christians in the past. The issue is whether or not we are being faithful. The issue is whether or not we are being obedient. The issue is whether or not you and I, we the church, are living in the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. But if you are like me, and you are thinking, but I actually haven't experienced the dramatic change I see in the Bible and maybe this actually causes you to wonder if you have been or are being transformed, then I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing to be asking of yourself. In fact, it could be the Spirit of God calling us out of an all-too-familiar Christianity into a strange new world of humble faith and bold witness against all the odds that you and I have hedged our bets up against. If so, then listen carefully. Repent and trust God that the transformation God is calling you into is for your own good and for the good of others. Trust that God will fulfill his promise to you and I who are far off. Trust that God will fill you more and more with his spirit and that in and through you God will accomplish his will. You know, not long after the first day of Pentecost here in Acts 2, there are countless stories of God's people being filled, being empowered by the Spirit of God, those who trusted God to accomplish His will in and through their lives. In fact, history is full of these stories. Stories of countless women, men, and children throughout history giving their lives to tell of the works of God. Stories like St. Benedict, who was faithful and obedient, 
the result of which was the rescue of the church during a time of barbarianism and great moral and social decline. Stories like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and other faithful German Christians who during World War II formed what is known as the Confessing Church and wrote the Barman Declaration condemning Nazi racist prejudice ideology that had been adopted into the church. Stories like William Wilberforce and his faithful campaign that led to the Slavery Abolition Act of 1833, which abolished slavery in most of the British Empire. Stories like the Pentecostal revival at Azusa Street, tearing down the color line. Stories like Jean Vanier and the communities of L'Arche, who welcomed and amplified the dignity and the voice, the persons with disabilities in a world that is built to dehumanize, objectify, and to marginalize them. Stories like the Rwandan church and the deep reconciliation occurring between victims of genocide and their persecutors. Stories like Church of the Redeemer. People who never would have chosen to be in this room together if it wasn't for the Spirit of God. All these and many, many more witness to the ways God's Spirit prevails, the way God's Spirit continues to work in and through God's people. Now, the second reason I believe God's Spirit keeps turning my attention to verse 14 has to do with what Peter says here and its relationship to those other verses, 37 through 39. Again, Peter stands up in verse 14 with the 11, raises his voice, and he addresses the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. And for the next 22 verses, Peter boldly preaches a simple yet profound and life-transforming message. Jesus Christ is both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other, brother, the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Last week, I came to the realization that I knew the story of Pentecost almost by heart. But I also realized that Peter's spirit-filled words have never cut me to the heart as they did those gathered on that day. For me, I think I've always read this story kind of focusing on the big picture, walking away from the passage with a type of appreciation for the newly acquired spiritual qualities of the apostles, but somehow missing what Peter is actually saying about Jesus in the passage. It's like I've been focusing too much on certain aspects of the story and somehow have been ignoring the actual message in the story that all those aspects are bearing witness to Jesus. And to be honest, I don't think I've listened carefully. It's not that I don't think it, I know. I've chosen not to listen carefully. And because of this, I, like the foreigners gathered there that day, have been confused about what's actually going on. The paradox in all this is that I have always assumed that I'm more like Peter and the apostles and the disciples because I'm Christian 
that I've been baptized and I've been filled with the Holy Spirit. But God has been showing me the past three weeks that I and maybe Christians today are much more like those who Peter is preaching to. Why do I say this? Well, we don't read about the apostles standing around questioning what's going on. No, that's the apostles before Pentecost. Remember Peter, James, and John at the Transfiguration just standing around cluelessly and ignorantly trying to make sense of all that's going on? Here we read about the apostles being filled with the Holy Spirit and boldly setting out to take the gospel into the world against all odds that would eventually cost them their lives. If the truth be told, I struggle daily, minute by minute, second by second, to live into the Pentecost life we see here in Acts 2. Some days I'd rather sit around wondering what's actually going on rather than just standing up and boldly setting out to take the gospel into the world against all odds, trusting in the Holy Spirit to guide me into gospel-filled conversations. And there are other days where I just want to be content with the fruits of your labor rather than trust God and labor in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like I want to confirm and tell of the works in the past, but I, sh- I stop short when it comes to trusting in God's work in and through me. It's a lot easier to have those conversations about what's going on at Church of the Redeemer in my neighborhood. But the minute I say, yeah, I'm an Anglican priest, it shuts down. And I've realized that I have cultivated compromise as a way of life, and I have become somewhat of a man of compromise. Rather than trusting in God's spirit to fill me and to give me the words, to lead me into gospel-filled conversations. It's so much easier, it's so much comfortable to read and reflect on God's work in the past than to trust and obey God in the present. And some days I really am content pretending that I am a before Pentecost Christian because it just seems a lot easier and it it involves a lot less risk. But there is no such thing as a before Pentecost Christian because God's promise has come in the power and presence of his spirit. God desires that we live as Pentecost people filled, empowered, and guided by the Holy Spirit. God desires that the same Spirit that filled and ruled and reigned in the life of Jesus Christ, who is both Lord and Messiah, fills and rules and reigns in and through you and I. God desires to empower us to do his will in this life, in this moment. This is God's promise, that he will accomplish his will in and through us. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, come, fall afresh on us. We want more of you. And this is not just a line in my sermon. I really want you right here to bow your head. that God would help you to discover what it is in your life that you need to relinquish to him so that you can live in the power and presence of his spirit. And pray, come, Holy Spirit, fall afresh 
on me. Holy Spirit, come and fall afresh on us. We want more of you. And where we lack want, fill us. Amen. So for the past few weeks, I have been listening more carefully, and God continues to turn my attention to these other verses, verses 37 through 39. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now, this verse may not seem full of the signs and wonders we see in verses 1 through 4. But I believe it's more wonderful. Because in these verses, there is real understanding into Jesus, who remains at the center of the apostles and the church's teaching, preaching, and life. In these verses, Peter is proclaiming that salvation is in and through Jesus, and that those who repent and are baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that this is true not only for himself and those then on the first day of Pentecost, but also for all who are far off, whom the Lord will call. In many ways, these verses tell us what the story of Pentecost is all about. That what was true 2,000 years ago is true today. And it will be as true 2,000 years from now as it is today. Amen? This story wishes to tell us nothing else. It tells us that on Pentecost, when he was spoken about, all understood. When speech really tells about Jesus, then there is not a single person who, when asked to understand, could not understand. The story of Pentecost reminds us that we have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. It reminds us that we, like those present on that day, by the power of the Holy Spirit, have entered into God's story. Pentecost is not a story about a church that once existed in the distant past. Rather, it is kind of the beginning of a new chapter in a greater narrative of God's story in which you and I, all of us, have a part. It is a story that continues in and through the lives of those whom God has called, you and I. Pentecost is the story not only of how the church came alive by the power of the Holy Spirit, but how the church is made alive in the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Today, we remember that we have received the power to take the gospel throughout the earth. Today, we remember 
that the promise of God that was fulfilled and on full display in Acts 2 is being fulfilled and is on full display in and through your lives. Today, we remember that we are a Pentecost church, a Pentecost people. Pentecost reminds us that the Holy Spirit still blows in our lives. If it weren't so, I would not be here this morning. The same Holy Spirit who inspired the prophets and the apostles and gave birth to the church continues to prod and urge us forward. It's been this way since the beginning of the church. Just when we get settled down, comfortable, with present arrangements, all fixed and immobile, there comes a rush of wind. There comes a still, small voice, a a breath of fresh air, tongues of fire. And the Holy Spirit comes to give us courage to pray without ceasing, to witness among all peoples to Christ as Lord and Savior, to unmask idolatries in the church and our culture, to hear the voices of people long silenced, and to work with others for justice, freedom, and peace. Beloved, we are a Pentecost people. We have been called by God to live in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, proclaiming that Jesus is both Lord and Messiah in word and in deed. Come, Holy Spirit, fall afresh on us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.